You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Joe Martino Show. My name is Joe, and I am your host. And today we are going to talk about the importance of checking in with your spouse, with your partner, having really hard conversations. Every week, I think I'm ready to go. I'm going to put up an episode that I've already recorded about uh, how we come to our self-esteem, things that you can do to help your kids have good self-view, things that you can do to improve your own self-view, your own self-esteem. And every week, something else comes up that I want to talk to you about first. And so I re-record or I record a new session. And that is also true this week. So we're going to go ahead and go with the new episode this week. And at the end, I have a great question from Anne in Pittsburgh. Also, we are very close to finalizing the details of our 2019 marriage conferences. If you've ever been to a marriage conference before, formerly called the Hopes and Dreams Marriage Conference, now called the Emotionally Secure Couple Marriage Conference, we're going to have at least one in West Michigan next spring, uh, end of winter, early spring. We're also planning on having a retreat for couples uh, somewhere to a destination, you know, within the Midwest here where we can get together. And my wife and I are going to do uh, the next level marriage conference retreat. So it's going to be where you come in, we talk about the marriage uh, conference material at a higher level. You don't have to have gone to one of our marriage conferences, but it will be helpful. We'll have group sessions and then some couple individual sessions. Um, there will be time for you to do fun things with your spouse. It should be a great getaway. More information coming soon. I'm so excited about that. Also, we're in the works of a men's mentoring group, putting together a group of six men to be mentored over a specific period of time with the intention of them finding men that they will then mentor. And hopefully we'll start a little movement where we help mentor people into adulthood and through the tumultuous transitions that are often our movement through our different years, right? From our teen years into our 20s, from our 20s into our 30s, from singleness into married life, from married life into into fatherhood, etc. These are all things that we're working on. I am working on a second book that I want you to know about. Uh, the working title is called Taming the Tempest in Your Head, Dealing with the Story in Your Head. It's about overcoming that narrative that runs in your head so that you can actually become all that you were created to be. All right, let's get to it. So this past weekend, my family went camping. Uh, We enjoy camping. There is a specific place that we like to go that is kind of sacred to us. We spend a lot of time there over the course of the summer. My wife and I go there, just the two of us. Uh, We take our children at different times. The kids went with us this time. Actually, we pulled them out of school one day last Friday, and we we went to this place where we camp. And we ride around and, you know, we have fun, sit around the campfire. Friday night, my wife and I are sitting around the campfire and we engage in what her and I call a check-in conversation. And these are important conversations for couples to have regularly. One of the things that we've talked about is the fact that we have intentionally amped up the amount of time we spend with our family because we feel that our girls are in one of the more critical times of their development. They're all teenagers. Well, actually, my youngest daughter's 12. 
but they're all in that that you know in that area. My my oldest daughter is turning 16. She's getting her license, learning to drive. My my 13 year old is entering into the teenage years, navigating friendships, navigating romance for all of them. Right, my youngest daughter is 12, and she's navigating middle school, and and how do I handle my friends, and who am I, and all of these things, and so we've purposely doubled down on time with family this summer, which is good. However, there is only seven days in a week, 24 hours a day, right, which when I pull out my trusty calculator here, don't laugh at me, math people, that's 168 hours in a week. There's only so many hours to go around. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to do a check-in on our relationship because while our children are very important, and I absolutely agree with that, so is our relationship. And an unhealthy couple often creates problems for their children. Not because they're unhealthy, though, but because they refuse to deal with the unhealthiness. I'll say that one more time. It's not because they're unhealthy. It's because they seem to not want to deal with the unhealthiness. And so my wife and I are sitting around the fire, and one of the realities of our lives with four kids is that there's not a lot of alone time at home. And so we start having a conversation about, hey, how do you think things are going? What would you like to see go better? And i got to tell you, we had a hard conversation. One of the skills that my wife and I have developed that I would really encourage you to develop, in fact, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, we can pick up a conversation, put it down, pick it back up, put it down, pick it back up, etc. And so as we do that, the conversation moves. But there's often points where we get to a place where like, okay, this is a very serious conversation. This can be difficult. We need to have it. So so Friday night, the conversation went something like this. Uh, one of us said to the other one, I, I said to my wife, I said, so here's, here's some things that I think are going well. And here's something that I think is not going well, that I think needs to go well. I think here's some things that we have stopped doing because we've been so intentional about focusing on the kids and spending time with the girls and with Joey and with our relationship has kind of taken a backseat to that a little bit, which in some ways is okay for a short period of time. But at the other time, there are, there are some habits that we had that we let uh, go a little bit lax. Now, look, we're not talking about anything major here. It's not like my wife's lighting up a doobie. Anybody who knows her is probably laughing right now. Uh, it's not like I'm, you know, hitting the bottle. And we're not talking about that type of stuff. We're just talking about things that each per- person feels enhances the relationship. It's a check-in time. And I can't tell you how important it is. We have to consider as couples what it means to live intentionally as a couple. As a married couple, what does it mean to live intentionally? So my wife and I have a conversation and I said to her, hey, here's something that you used to do that I don't feel you do anymore. And she said, okay, well, tell me about that. And she started to mirror me. What does that look like to you? Now, let's talk about all the ways that this can go bad first. Let's just get that out of the way. Because when I talk to clients about this, I often hear the same exact pushbacks, the same exact complaints. I hear the same type of what about questions, you know, like what about this? What about that? Obviously, I think the most clear, the, the, the most obvious way that this could go wrong is you're telling your loved one, your spouse, your partner, hey, I feel like you're doing this wrong. That always has the potential to go bad. It just always does because no one likes to hear what they're doing wrong. And we tend to get defensive when we hear those things. In my opinion, that's obviously the most dangerous thing that could happen. Because of this, there needs to be some agreed upon times that you might have these discussions. There needs to be some sensitivity to the speaker, right? Like, so if my wife was like, hey, it's Friday night, I'm tired. We traveled a ways today. We got up really early. Let's not have this conversation now. I need to respect that. 
if she says to me, hey, I want to talk, and I'm like, no, I'm really stressed right now. She needs to respect that, right? We need to have the the respect there for each other. Remember, healthy relationships are built off of love, trust, and respect. The other side of that is, and a lot of people tell me, well, if I don't talk about it, then it'll never come back up. If we respect the, hey, not right now, then we need to respect the, but it is something that the person wanted to talk about. And it's important to make sure that we come back to it. So those are two kind of broad stroke boundaries that we should have around these conversations. Respect the other person's position. Are they tired? Has it been a long day? And then respect the other person in wanting to talk about it. Make sure that we do have the conversation. And then, of course, I feel like it goes without saying we have to follow the six rules that we talk about in the book. Whatever it is that you have decided will govern your conversation, you should honor that. So my wife and I have decided that those six rules will govern our conversation. We need to follow those six rules. If you don't know what I'm talking about, feel free to pick up my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, Schuler's. You can find it wherever books are sold. Um, I would recommend Amazon because I think that's the best price, but I'm not sure that. You can get a signed copy at our local offices. In the book, I talk about the six rules of communication that my wife and I follow, and, and we, I've gone through them on the podcast. Be intentional. Always avoid always. Never say never. Does it have to be a problem? Facts only. Issues, not people. In today's news, those are the, the, the six rules that we cover, that we follow. And so as we engage in this hard conversation, we need to engage in those things. Anytime you're telling somebody, I love you, but I think you could do this better, there is a chance that they're not going to hear it well. And that comes down to generously listening and generously speaking. Generous assumptions versus cynical assumptions. And, and this whole conversation started because my wife said to me, I feel like we're fighting a lot more than we normally do about three weeks ago. I don't remember exactly now. And I, I've thought about that a lot. And I was like, okay, so here are some things that I think as a couple, we're not doing well. We had a conversation last Wednesday at work. Here are some things that I think we could do better as a couple that we used to do. And then the conversation was put down because we had to go to work. We picked it back up Thursday night when we got home for like 10 minutes. Well, what does that mean? What does this look like? And then Friday, she said, okay, so I've talked to you about what I feel. What do you feel? And now we're having this conversation sitting next to the fireplace, and she's telling me what she thinks. Hey, Joe, here's something that I think you could do better, uh, and I have to listen to it. And I, I asked the question, and here's a, a just a million-dollar question. When somebody says to you, I think you could do this better, ask them, could you elaborate what that looks like to you? If you're willing to put bad grammar to the test or to the use, you could say, what does that look like done right? Just point blank ask them. What does this look like to you? What do you mean by that? So I said to my wife, I feel like you could do this better, and I don't feel like you're doing this anymore that you used to do. And her response wasn't one of defensiveness. It wasn't one of, oh, I am not, or yes, I am. It was, okay, could you tell me what that means? Could you give me an example? And then she thought about it for a few seconds, and she said, I think I agree. Let's talk about what it would look like to fix it. See, the conversation needs to be about here's the problem or here's the thing that I would like to see change. Sometimes it's not really a problem. It's just something I would like to see change. And so as you move into it, as you uh, get into the conversation, you go back and forth. And sometimes the conversation gets a little bit elevated in emotions. There's an intensity to it. But you go back and forth, what does this look like? And you mirror and you talk about when this happens, I feel. And you have this hard conversation so that when you come through the other end, you have a higher level of intimacy in your relationship. Because life's always hard. 
If your life is easy right now, just hold your breath for a few seconds. It'll get hard. There's always something that's causing life to move. There's always something that is good that is crowding out time for your relationship. And so you engage this conversation. You have the hard talk. You talk about things that you're like, wait, this could be better. And your relationship gets better because you build new behaviors and new habits. So let's talk about the benefits of this, okay? Because this is where it gets amazing to me. One of the things that you have to consider is how our brain works. So typically, couples don't engage in this type of check-in because they're afraid that it'll be hard, that it'll be dangerous to their relationship, and it'll be difficult. And so what happens is because they avoid it, we're actually wiring our brain to avoid it again the next time something comes up. And so over time, we develop this habit that causes us to avoid the relationship and what we really want in it. But, and to me, this is the exciting point, the opposite of that is also true. Every time we engage in the hard conversation, every time we make ourselves have the check-in conversation, every time we make ourselves listen in an appropriate and beneficial way to what's going on, we develop the habit of protecting our relationship, of doing things that are good for our relationship. We build a habit of intimacy, if you will, and that habit produces intimacy because now you're, you're wiring your brain to engage in the difficult conversation. On top of that, you're removing detractors from your relationship. And sometimes there are big detractors, right? Sometimes there are like, hey, when you do this and you call me names, it really hurts my feelings. Sometimes the detractors to our relationship are just like little pebbles in your shoe. But here's the thing. Do you really want to have a pebble in your shoe for the next 40 years, the next 60 years, the next 30 years? I don't. I want my relationship to be a safe haven where I can go to grow. And that happens by building habits of safety that also require me to grow, right? By regular checking in with my wife because my wife knows me better than anybody. And she can say, hey, you're doing this good and not that. Or here's something I need from you that you used to do and you're not doing. Or here's something I need from you that you've never done and I'd like you to start. Whatever it is, the more I engage in that, the more my brain says, okay, this is safe, this is necessary, this is healthy. The next benefit that I see is that it builds intimacy in your relationship because everybody knows that we hate conflict. Everybody. Everybody knows that these conversations are uncomfortable. And so when you engage in it, And you force yourself to sit there and calmly listen and respond and not react, right? Responses are thought out. Reactions just happen without much thought. When we do that, what we're doing is we're creating intimacy. We're saying, I value you. I value a healthy relationship with you more than I value my own comfort. And so by engaging in the conflict, we're telling our spouse, I love you. I care about you. I want this relationship to be everything that it can be. I actually talk about this in my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. In chapter 8, I actually titled the chapter, Conflict is Your Best Friend. I just want to read two quick pages to you. Storytellers love conflict. Seriously, think about our modern-day bards. They all tell tales of high conflict. This conflict gives the hero or heroine in the story purpose and meaning. It challenges the heroine to overcome. The hero chases down monsters and faces certain destruction. The consumer of these stories will often sit with rapt attention as the conflict unfolds. Many times the consumer will relate to the heroine in some ways and will seek to tell a similarly great story with their own life. 
They typically have a problem, though. The great story they want to tell will require them to engage in conflict. They hate conflict. They run from it as though it were a plague, promising the most violent death. They believe conflict is the problem. Well, of course, the problem isn't actually conflict. It's their belief about conflict. That belief drives our assumptions about conflict, and those assumptions ultimately drive our actions regarding conflict. And then I go on to talk in the book about how, if we were to illustrate this, we could take a piece of paper, and in the middle we would draw a circle and label it the circle of conflict. And then we'd put everything else we do around that circle. One of the problems is most people believe that that circle is actually the most dangerous place to be on the board. In reality, it's the most necessary place to be. And when we regularly engage in things that could create conflict and we handle them well through these intentional check-ins, we build our relationship's intimacy. What we do when we engage these intentional check-ins that could lead to conflict We build some habits because we need to be able to do three things in order to have a healthy relationship. One, we need to be able to engage in conflict in a healthy way. Then we need to be able to stay engaged in the conflict long enough to solve the problem and then exit the conflict in a way that doesn't leave scars in our partner and our loved ones. This is one of the problems. A lot of people solve problems, but they do it in a way that leaves scars and wounds in the people they love. In the book, I mention eight benefits of conflict that I'm going to cover briefly, and they'll probably be their own podcast episode later uh, at a different time. But I've already talked about the first one. Conflict tells the other person that you love them more than you love your own comfort. The second one is conflict allows your relationship to grow by moving both parties into deeper water. So often we want a deep relationship, but we're not willing to go into the deep waters of our emotions to experience it. Number three, conflict helps each person to become a better version of themselves. If you allow it, conflict will make you better. Number four, conflict teaches us to differentiate our emotions. One of the best abilities that everyone can foster is the ability to differentiate between emotions. This is often very difficult because we are uncomfortable dealing with any emotions, including our own. Because of this discomfort, we often run to the delusional safety of the emotions that we use the most. In other words, we'll use anger because we're comfortable with that. We use it a lot. We'll use shutdown, which isn't really an emotion, but it comes from anger, right? We'll use sarcasm. We'll use frustration, but we won't really differentiate our emotions and say, no, 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 I'm angry. But actually, before that anger, I felt shame, or before that anger, I felt guilt, or before that anger, I felt pain. Number five, conflict fosters teamwork. If you are going to develop teamwork in your relationship, you're going to have to go through conflict, because if you both agreed on everything, one of you is irrelevant. Number six, conflict develops our self-control. For many people, their response is destructive to the health of their relationships, and so they have to get better at it. One of the things I hear all the time in the room is, yeah, but that's hard. Of course it's hard. That's why it's called developing. Number seven, conflict creates a repository of memories that affirms to us that our relationship is secure. When you engage in conflict properly, you are creating this vast vault of memories that tells your spouse and that you can go to that says, my relationship is secure. And number eight, the one that matters the most to me, conflict creates emotional security. Conflict, when done well, creates emotional security. Now, the thing of it is, is many of you are probably saying, well, what happens when we don't do conflict well? Well, then a lot of bad things happen. But one of the ways that we can build the memory, build the habit of doing conflict well is having regular check-ins. When you do these regular check-ins, you're building your muscles 
your emotional muscles. You're building your mental muscles to have better conflict. And by having better conflict, you're creating a better relationship. And you're cutting down on resentment because you're giving the possibility of resentment because you're letting your partner know, this is what I need from you. And ideally, they're responding. Now, sometimes they might say, hey, I can't do that. But then you can talk about it because you're developing your conflict muscles. It's really exciting. I'm telling you, I always feel closer to my wife when we come out of one of these conversations, even though they're often painful while we're in them. And I've made changes. Like one of the things that she brought up uh, was was we have kind of a Friday day for us. We don't see clients. We do work. That's administrative work, but we make sure we spend time with each other. And I was going to go to a boxing class. And she was like, hey, I don't like that. Okay, you know what? I can make some changes. I can do this. I can do that. And we made changes. We improved our intimacy. It's awesome. So now here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a check-in with your spouse, with your partner. I want you to talk to them, ask them, how are things going? What's going well? What could I do better? Have that conversation and let me know how it goes. Send me an an email at info at joemartino.com, info at joemartino.com. All right, and now to our question from Anne in Pittsburgh. Anne with an E writes, first of all, thank you for the podcast. It's part of my podcast mix as I exercise while walking at the mall. Question regarding podcast number 20 or 21 or 22. I'm not a people pleaser. Actually, it's episode 20. Uh, Anne continues, sometimes I draw too many boundaries with people. I watched an episode of the TV sitcom Friends once where Joey says to Phoebe, there's no such thing as a selfless good deed. And she sets out to prove him wrong and frustratingly finds herself unable to do so. Since I know I struggle with selfishness and my religion teaches me to put other people before myself, I have made serving others part of my personal goals. I don't always say yes or serve others because I genuinely want to, but because I know that I should and I hope that one day my feelings will catch up. Otherwise, they may never come. In the end, I'm the one who is a beneficiary because I'm meeting a personal goal and fulfilling my faith. So does that mean I'm manipulating others? Thanks again, Anne from Pittsburgh. So Anne's question is actually one that I've gotten quite a few times on episode number 20, where I talked about why can't I say no? What I suggested was often we can't say no because we're afraid of what will happen to us if we say no. So the typical scenario is something like this. Your neighbor says, hey, I'm moving Saturday. Can you come help? And really, you don't want to. You don't feel like you should. Uh, You've got something else going on. But you say yes because you're afraid that if you don't, your neighbor will judge you. Your mom calls up and says, hey, I need you to go to this party, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I'm not going to do it. Whatever it is, you say yes, not because you want to, but because you're afraid of what will happen to you if you don't. In other words, they might get mad at you. And so in the end, you're the beneficiary of what you're doing. That's not actually selflessness. That's selfishness. That's manipulation. Or, and here's another common way that this goes, what happens is You do something for someone. Hey, can you give me a ride? Yeah, but then you expect them to do something for you and get mad, even if you don't verbalize it, when they don't do something for you later. Maybe I ask my neighbor, hey, can I borrow your ladder? He says yes. And then later he's like, hey, can you come help me, uh, I don't know, till the garden? And I say no. If he gets mad because I said no, and he's like, well, I loaned him my ladder. Well, then he has a problem of selfishness. Now, Anne, in your situation, I'm going to suggest that this is a little bit different. Even though I do agree that you are the the ultimate beneficiary, you're certainly benefiting them as well, and you're not doing it with an expectation that they will benefit you. Your benefit comes from 
your adherence to your religious faith, from your personal development. There's not an expectation on them because you did something. You're not manipulating them. You're doing something because you believe it's morally right, regardless of how you feel. And that brings the benefit to you, not them bringing the benefit to you. So I think that's a fantastic question. One of the things we have we have to accept is we are going to do things that we don't want to do, especially when it comes to friendships, when it comes to reaching out to other people, because we believe it's the right thing to do. And we get a benefit from that. We develop. We become more whole people. We become better people. Our society is enhanced. Dare I say, maybe even if we engage in conflict, we don't do it because we necessarily want to, but we do it because we benefit as a couple. And so there's the difference, And You're not looking to them to benefit you. You're not looking to them. You don't hold expectations over them. You're not keeping a ledger. Okay, well, this time I helped Jeff, and so Jeff has to help me. And this other time I helped Kathy. Kathy called me up, and she was like, hey, I need some kale salad right away. And don't laugh. I like kale salad. Uh, and so you made it for her, and then later you're like, okay, well, Dave called me, and he needs some meatballs, and I don't like making meatballs, so I'm going to call Kathy, and Kathy better make the meatballs. That isn't how it works. When you do something, you have to do it without the expectation of return. That's what makes it love. That's what makes it beneficiary. And it allows you to say no because you're not keeping a ledger. You're not saying yes just because... Bill helped you three weeks ago or two months ago or a year ago. I hope that answers your question, Anne. If it doesn't, please feel free to write me again. Uh, I do appreciate all the people reaching out and contacting us. You can do it through Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Joe Martino Counseling. You can email us info at joemartino.com, info at joemartino.com. If you do send us a question, please put the subject line as podcast question. If you don't get a response from us, at the very least, thanking you for sending in the question, that means it went somewhere in the ether world, but not to us. Reach out again a different way. You could Twitter me if you'd like, at Joe Martino. Uh, You can also find me on the web at JoeMartino.com. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at joemartino.com. You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.